Welcome to the workshop, Middle Timers. My name is Tony. I'm a compulsive overeater and the moderator for this session. Help us preserve the cherished tradition of anonymity by refraining from taking pictures in this or any other meeting room. The format for this session is a reading, two speakers, and ask a basket, and ask a basket questions. A basket with paper and pencil will be circulated for you to write any questions you may have for the speakers. Please, speci please specify whom your question is for. The reading is from the big book, pages 83 and 85. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we're halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish, wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Our first speaker is Mel, who will speak for 20 minutes. Okay? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm Melissa Mel. I'm Over here, please. Ah, oh, the mic. I was getting ready to be all lazy. Okay. Plus, we don't need the whole thing. We just read the little portions of it. Uh, <laughs> and eighty-five, and she gave. That's what she had marked in my book. Oh, so we're just doing no, this little piece. No, the promise is still. Yeah, they go. Yeah, I'm a little unconfused. Okay, show me what you. Okay, this is what she has to read. So I'll let you. Oh, that's it. Oh, okay. Okay. So I'll let you guys do. That's fine. Okay. So. Okay. And I'm still now. God knows, I'm still a compulsive overeater. Hi, everybody, and thank you guys for coming all the way out to Palm Springs. Um, talk about going to any lengths, you guys. Appreciate that. Um, the promises. You know, I was, as we read this and as I read this from time to time, depending on where I am in my recovery or what's going on at that particular time in my life, some of those things are true for me and some of those things aren't. I've not had the experience that I've gotten all the promises at one time and continued to keep them. Some things kind of come and go. And one thing that really struck me that I have for most, most of the time is that we are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. And the freedom that I have is from compulsive overeating. The freedom that I have is from the constant obsessive thoughts of food how I'm going to get it, where I'm going to get it, how will I eat it so that you won't see me eating it. Will there be enough of it? And the answer is no, there's never going to be enough of it. That food, honest to God, ruled my life and my thoughts, and everything I did was around it, and everything I did was, was to eat it and keep it away from anybody so that nobody would know. And today, for over 10 years, I've had a freedom from that, one day at a time, and sometimes I have crawled to get it. And sometimes it has been graceful, and there have been times all in between. But when I think back to what it was like before I came here and how I was ruled by, by food, ruled by it, completely ruled by it. And for the most part today, I have a freedom from that. And so when I read this, I'm reminded and I'm grateful that I have a freedom from that. 
We will not regret the past, and we wish to shut the door on it. <clears throat> I've got to be honest. There are still times when I don't necessarily regret the past, but I'm ashamed of it. When I think of what I came from before I was in this program, and I think of the physical and emotional abuse that happened in my house, and at that time I thought I was the only one. And when that was happening, I really thought that I would never speak of it again. And I have found in these rooms that I need to speak about my past and I need to talk about it so that people know that if you were beaten as a kid and you were abused as a kid, there's getting past it. Um, but I have to say that I'm, I still hold some shame around that because I can remember I talk about this when I, when I share my whole story that um, the yelling and screaming in my house was so loud that I have no doubt that the neighbors knew what was happening to me. And I also have no doubt that when my mom was baking right after these episodes would happen, it saved me. It saved me at a time when there wasn't anything else. So food really, truly saved me at a time when there wasn't anything else. But I also remember one particular time when I walked out my front door, and my next-door neighbor, she must have been maybe 55 or 60, and she looked at me like I was so dirty, and there was something so wrong with me, and I can still see her face like it happened last week. And I don't know if that's really how she looked at me or if that's how I saw it. And it really almost doesn't matter. But in me is still those eyes. In me is still, you know, if this person knew or if this person knew or if that person knew what happened to me when I was younger, what would they think of me? Um, and yet I also understand that it's that experience that I can bring to a meeting and share with other people. And maybe there'll be somebody in the room who had that experience too. And they, they can learn that if I have, I can't say gotten past it, because frankly, for the most part, I've, I've gotten more comfortable with it and accepted it more. But there are still days it affects me. But I understand that my past, and they talk about that in the big book, that my past and the skeletons in my closet could, happen, could help somebody else. And so when I read that, I'm reminded about that. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. And you know, some days I'm serene and some days I'm not. But every day I, I do what's necessary or every day I take the action so that I can find peace. Because ultimately that's what I'm looking for. Every day I'm looking for that. I'm really not looking for food. I'm looking for peace. I'm looking for a better connection with God. And so that means that I pray and sometimes meditate, sometimes I don't. Sometimes it means I have to set the timer for five minutes or ten minutes and know that in those minutes before I go to work that I need to be with God and I don't need to be thinking about the things I have to do when I get to the office. And so every day I'm seeking it, some days more than others, but truly that's what I want. I want peace in my soul. And I know that if I keep doing this, if I keep coming to meetings and if I keep calling in my food and talking to my sponsor and all those things that we're supposed to do and I keep taking calls and I keep doing these things that it moves me closer to peace. Some days that's more than others, but I'm always wanting that. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we'll see how our experience can benefit others. And I talked about that before. And thank God there's a place where people talk about what their experience was and they talk about those things in their past that they were ashamed of or embarrassed about or angry about or whatever it is because every time I hear one of them, um, it gives me hope. And that's, I think, one of the, the fundamental, um, just fundamental parts of this program is that there's hope. No matter where you come from, no matter how far down the scale you have gone, no matter, I used to eat trash, I used to eat trash, I used to eat food out of the trash. And, and I have to laugh about this, because I would eat food out of the trash that ants were crawling on, but I wouldn't eat out of somebody else's plate. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just kind of funny, like, how I even came to that, I don't know. And just... As if for a compulsive overeater, me, me throwing out the remaining ding-dongs was going to stop me from going out there to get them. What did I care? The only thing I didn't want is for any of you to see me doing it. But I didn't care. 
I didn't care if they were sealed and stuff or not sealed and stuff. I truly didn't care. And when you get to that level where you're eating out of the trash, oh, there's something really wrong. There's, there was something really wrong all the way to that point, but there's something really wrong. The feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear, for the most part. And then on those days where I feel useless and, and full of self-pity, I take contrary action because the program tells me we take contrary action. It doesn't matter how I feel, what I think. It really doesn't matter. The only thing that speaks of me are my actions. And so, when I feel that way, I take contrary action. I make a call to see how somebody else is doing. I get out of myself in some way. It doesn't say the feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. It doesn't say every single day. But for the most part, as I go along, if I kind of look at my past, yeah, that's happened. And not because I've done anything to make it happen, but simply because I followed the program and I stuck around and I keep coming back, whether I want to or not, that's kind of just what happens as you go along. <coughs> we will lose interest, lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. For the most part, yeah. And I can see how over the years, how my selfishness isn't just buy me this and buy me that. That's very obvious. But sometimes my selfishness is that I'm out to dinner with my boyfriend and there's something on my plate that I don't eat. And I reach for it and just put it on his plate without asking. Get it off of mine. You'll eat it without asking. Sometimes my selfishness is really quiet. And as I've gone along in the program, I can see where it, where it, where it is. And sometimes it's subtle and so quiet. And I learned in this program, things like that, behaviors like that aren't okay. You know what? I can ask him. Or I can ask the waiter to bring me another plate and put it on that plate. I don't have to just assume that just because he's not one of us, he'll just eat this. That's selfish. Because I'm afraid of it being on my plate. That's, that's just selfish. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Absolutely yes. When I came into these rooms, it actually, just to give you an idea, it took me about three and a half years to get a feeling in here. And I've been around the rooms for about 12 years and took a candle in March for 10 years of recovery. And God, I had, when I came here, I had no desires. I had no dreams. I had no goals. I was just kind of meandering about and eating. That's what I was doing. When I, when, and so at the height of my disease, I couldn't hold a job. I could not hold a job. I couldn't show up regularly. And even when I was there, it didn't matter because I was stuffing my face and, frankly, of no benefit anyway. And now I understand that my whole, my whole attitude has changed. If there's a goal, I have goals today, and I did a footwork to get to those goals. I um, graduated from college in these rooms. I passed the CPA exam in these rooms. I've taken jobs and asked for the money that I wanted in these rooms. I have goals in these rooms. And I speak up for myself, and that's what you guys all taught me. And when you guys believed in me when I couldn't, I took the action anyway. And so that was unbelievably valuable to me. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us, for the most part, but not always. I found that um, the fear of people aspect of it has been um, more powerful for me. That, that has been removed, I think, a little better for me. Um, I used to not be able to hold a job because I was afraid of everybody. I was literally afraid of everybody. Um, what if you don't like me? What if you do like me? What if you don't talk to me? What if you do talk to me? Every possible little aspect of it I was afraid of. I was afraid I wouldn't do things right. I was afraid I would get fired. I was fear, 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 fear. And I was terrified of people. But over the last 12 years, in particular the last 10 years, that fear has, for the most part, kind of subsided. Some days it's there but not nearly like it was when I first came in here. And it's just been time, one day at a time, strung together, 
do the best you can for that day, work your program the best you can for that day, and this just happens automatically. It's not like I willed this to happen. It just sort of happened automatically. And fear of economic insecurity will leave us. Well, you know, um, I struggle with that. I have to be honest, I struggle with that. And when I struggle with it and I remember God, because it's funny, I forget God a lot, and I have to be reminded by my sponsor and by people in the program, um, where's God in all of this? I get into that part that says I've got to take care of the money. I'm going to take care of it. I'm just going to fix it. I'm going to take care of it. And I'm going to say that I'm going to... And God has no part of that. And I think in my program that is one of the most difficult places for me to turn it over. I have learned um, over the years to turn my food over. But this is an area where I struggle. However, I'm better than I used to be. I'm better than I used to be. And if I can say I'm better than I used to be, I'll take that today because I remember how it used to be. <laughs> um, we will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Absolutely, yes. Um, I believe in God every day. I don't always feel connected to God. I believe that God is there every day, but I don't always feel connected. I work at a place where there is a lot of food. There are about four kitchens on my floor, and they're all stocked with every kind of snack, food, and drink you could imagine, and they're free. This is a compulsive overeater's dream where I work. And there's always cakes, and there's always this, and there's always that. Um, yesterday, somebody, one of the partners in my, my company had a birthday, and they got a huge cake, a huge cake. And, you know, I stay for the singing, I stay for a little of the cutting, and then I leave because I can't be there. And while they were cutting it, I was watching the knife, staring at the knife go through the cake staring at it and I thought you know this, this isn't good and, and my prayer was God help me God help me God help me God help me when, when all else fails God help me um, and you know I walked out of, I walked out of the conference room I saw somebody um, somebody who takes care of our building and keeps it clean and stuff and I, and I asked him if he had gotten any cake and he said no and I actually went back got him a piece of cake and brought it to him and that was doing service for him He's a great guy, and I knew it would be important to him, so I brought it back to him. I washed my hands. None of it touched me, but I felt like I had to wash my hands. I went back into my office, and I said, thank you, God. Thank you, God. When I'm in the market, and you know how sometimes if, you, if there's a market that's got, like, a bakery, and it's like they pump the smell out or something? <laughs> and, you know, God help me, God help me, God help me, God help me. And, you know, every single time without fail, every single time God does for me what I can't do for myself, every single time I say that, Every single time, without fail, it has saved me. And, and it's as if the obsession or the focus or whatever is removed. That's nothing I'm doing, because I would go over to the bakery and stand there and look at everything. Because I want to look, and I want to inspect, and I, you know what? That's a dangerous territory for me. <clears throat> so that's just one aspect where God helps me. And he helps me because I believe that he will. When I ask in other areas, and I'm still holding it really close to the vest and I don't want to give it to him, I don't find the same relief because I'm still holding on to it so much. And, and I, as I talk, I'm realizing the areas where I'm doing that. I'm holding on. I'll take care of it myself. I'll take care of it myself. God does a better job than I do. Um, they will, these, these promises will always materialize if we work for them. It doesn't say if we believe in them, if we believe in God every day, if we feel connected to God every day, if we work for them. And my, my program has is based on action, not on willingness, none of that. My program is based on action. I have found that I can be completely unwilling to do something and do it anyway, 
and the willingness follows. But if I wait for the willingness on some things, I never find it. I'm not, I've, I've got a, for my CPA certification, I'm working on an ethics exam. And ever since the Enron incident, it's gotten a whole lot more difficult to pass this thing. Am I willing to, to do it and do the work? Absolutely not. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. But I can call somebody or set my timer for a half an hour or 20 minutes or 15 minutes and sit down and do it completely unwilling. And you know what happens? About 15 minutes into it, something shifts. But if I wait for the willingness, I'll never pick the book up. I'll never do it. If I wait for the willingness, I won't go out of bed. I won't get out of bed in the morning. It is only my action. And I heard somebody in the meeting talk about sober feet. My sober feet get up. They take a shower. They get dressed. They walk to the car. They go. That's what my sober feet do. And my sober hands don't work, don't reach for cookies and candy and things that, that are poison to me because once I get a hold of them, it's game over. Everything will be about that item and all its little friends. And that's what it'll be. And it really will be. It won't be the weight on my body that will kill me. It'll be the despair and the loneliness and the desperation of, of the, the eating disorder that I have and that we have. Um, and and I, really, I, can't, I feel like I can't say it enough how important footwork is, how important action is. Not willingness for me, it's action. Every single time it's action. Um, when, I, when my sponsor calls me, do I always want to take the call? No. But, you know, somebody takes the call from me. And I pick up the phone, and I might be irritated just because I don't want to talk. But once I start talking, after about three or four minutes of listening to her, the irritation and the, the impatience and the self-centeredness leaves me. I'm, I'm basically a self-centered, fear-based, shame-based person. Left my own devices. I won't leave the house. I'll order pizza continuously, I'll draw the drapes, I'll watch TV in a big giant t-shirt and get food stains all over it and not leave the house and not have, not interact with anybody, just me and my food, me and my food. <laughs> That's my wiring, it's my base nature. It will not change. But what does change is that every day I take contrary action to the best of my ability with God's help. And because I've Taking contrary action in the past, I can see that it's a doable thing. And I, because I did it yesterday, I do it today. And because I do it today, I'll do it tomorrow. Thank you. And that's what the program teaches me. Um, and the program has basically taught me everything that I know today. I literally came here. I think I probably stopped, stopped growing emotionally at about 10. And that's how you guys found me when I was, how old was I, 27, 26? That's how I was kind of delivered here. Um, that's how you found me. You guys taught me how to be a person of my word. You taught me how to hold a job. I didn't know that the trick to holding a job is just go back. Go back again and go back again. And while you're there, get some sense up. I really didn't know that the trick was keep coming back. Like the trick here is keep coming back. <coughs> I didn't know that. But you guys taught me that. And there's no doubt to me that the promises absolutely come true as a result of working the steps and not because I'm working to get the promises. I'm just, you know what, I'm just a sick person trying to get better. I'm just trying to get along in a world where there's a ton of food and I want all of it. That, that's it. That's what I'm trying to do. I am every single day to the best of my ability and with God's help trying to do the best I can. And I, and I look at my relationship with God as kind of like a pipe graph and it's always God and I doing something to help my recovery. And some days it might be more God, and some days it's more me, 
But it's always God. Even if it's 99% me that day, there's always a little God in there. And by talking to my sponsor or talking to people in the program, I'm reminded to reach for that little piece, um, reach for that God piece, and maybe let that be bigger. But it's always some combination of God and I, God and I, God and I, and footwork. The I part is the footwork. The God part is everything else that happens after the footwork. I heard somebody talk about... um, talk about that as if a, if a pitcher is throwing a pitch the pitch is his until the ball leaves his hand once it leaves his hand that's God's so if I've thrown the pitch then I'm out of it I'm done if I've gotten up in the morning I've gone to work and I've done the best that I can do the rest is enough to me that's what this program has taught me I used to think it was my job to throw the pitch and somehow control the ball and walk with it or I don't know what I was going to do with it and I was going to make it be exactly where it needed to be well, I can't do that. And as I, as I share this with my sponsees and as I share this with you, it reminds me. I can't do that. I'm just throwing the pitch. But nothing's going to happen if I don't go up to the mound and throw the pitch. Nothing's going to happen if I'm just sitting on the bench going, you know, complaining and whining and whatever the heck is going on. Nothing's going to happen then. It only happens when I get up, I take my silver feet to the, to the pitcher's mound, and I throw the pitch. That's what the program has taught me. It's taught me that I am helpless. Excuse me. I am powerless but not helpless. I'm powerless about what happens after the ball leaves my hand. But I'm not helpless. God gets me up to the mound, and he lets me throw the pitch. So when I first came to the program, I thought that powerless meant helpless. And doesn't that just tie into my whole victim self-centered thing? Well, but I'm not, I'm not helpless. I do my part. If I can do something, that's my responsibility to do it. God's not going to do what I can do for myself. He will take care of the stuff that is not mine. Whether I'm connected to him or not, whether I believe it on any given day or not, it doesn't matter. I still have to go up to the, to the mound and throw the pitch. And that is, that is what, one of the basic ideas that I have learned from this program. Anyway, I'm going to stop now, but thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. And our second speaker is Violet. Oh, sure. I'm Violet Compulsible Reader. I wrote out notes because I, you know, I thought, I don't really know what I'm going to say or have anything to say about this, so I wrote notes so in case I forget. Um, I'll qualify to begin with. I came in the program going over 200 pounds one more time, and I didn't come in to lose weight. I came in because I was suicidal, and I didn't want to commit suicide, and I knew that abstaining would make a difference. I had um, enough clarity to know that. And I, you know, and I still abstain for that reason, for my sanity and not for the weight loss. I've been abstaining now 16 and a half years and maintained a 70 pound weight loss. And it's, um, and this is the longest, well, I should, no, I've done, I've done another service group longer, but, um, but, this is the longest I've done something that I really was out of control because by myself I couldn't stop compulsively overeating. And I'm also a compulsive reader. And when it says to me 83 to 84, I go to the bottom of the page, and at the bottom of the page is the second set of promises. There's more than one promises in the book. And at the bottom of the page, and the second set says, and we will cease fighting anything or anyone, even, um, even food. 
And I had an example of that the other day. I got into my control issues at work. By the way, Melissa's story and mine are a lot alike. We're in the same profession, just different sides of the road. Um, <laughs> go to the same meetings, too. And anyway, um, and somebody was doing an amended tax return, and I had talked to him the other day, and he wasn't doing it quite right. So I went in and, see, I'm a compulsive person. I was going to make it right and do it in. And he wasn't really thrilled with me getting into the conversation. And at one point, we're having what was close to an argument about whatever. He had his point of view. I had my point of view. He went his point. I had my point. And all of a sudden, program kicked in and said, you know what? Quit arguing. Walk away. Because in the program I've learned, and it was one of the things that really defined me before program, most of us would rather be right than be happy. And I thought, you know what? I don't have to be right with this. I don't have to convince him of anything. Just shut up and walk away. And I talked to my sponsor about this the other day. And, in fact, it was two because it was at the end of two conversations I put this in. So she had, like, a continuation two days in a row. And I really need to go back and do my third continuation was my part in it. And my part in it was I put myself in a position to be hurt. I, I walked right into it. And, but the thing was, program at one point kicked in, and I walked out. <laughs> to me today, um, to me today, recovery isn't so much not do it, um, not having that first crazy thought. Recovery to me is realizing I'm going down the wrong road, and that's not the way I want to be today. And stopping, doing a prayer, coming back, and going down a different direction. And that's what happened with this man at work. I just, you know, I stopped, walked away, did some, you know, and I just went and I emailed uh, my friend mutual friend, and I said, I'm going to have to do a freedom from bondage prayer for this guy because he's really irritating me. And there's no way I'm going to lose my absence over anybody like that. You know, there's just no way. Um, and I'll, one thing I'd like to say about the freedom from bondage prayer, if you're having trouble with it, it's not working. I was told by somebody with much longer time in, a, in AA than I had in OA that to visualize the person, visualize them healthy, visualize them wealthy, prosperous, you know, a good life. And the visualization, I tried that with some people and actually worked when the actual prayer by itself hadn't worked. And the next promise is, is we're, by this time sanity will have returned. Sanity to me today has to do with, one, remember I'm a compulsive overeater, and that every time I've taken, that I'm only going to have one, I never stopped with one. I heard in another 12-step thing, and it said that every time we make a decision based on a lie, the truth will come out. Every time I make a decision based on the fact I can have one, the truth comes out. I can't have one. I have been having this thing with pretzels at work. Now, I don't, they have the same kind of food. <laughs> they do have Melissa's and they're free. And, and the sugar part doesn't even bother me. It, it, it just doesn't bother me. Salt, however, is a big attraction. <laughs> and the pretzels have salt. They have almost nothing else but salt. Very few calories, very few anything else. And one-to-one, -one, if I go to arm wrestle with pretzels, I lose every single time. And it's not that pretzels are bad or good. It has nothing to do with that. The fact is that if I start eating one, pretty soon I'm eating more, and I really would like to lose some weight. 
So if I want to lose some weight, I have to cut back somewhere. And these are just extra calories I really don't need. And so the other day what I finally did was I said, God, you know, please take these pretzels away. And I don't even know if it worked that day or the next day, but, you know, I just realized this week, for a while I haven't had pretzels. But by myself, trying arm wrestle with a pretzel, and these are little pretzels. These are big ones. These are little ones. I can't arm wrestle a pretzel. It doesn't work. And so, and I, and that's, you know, the sandy is I can't have one in the sandy. I also ask God for help. What I can't do, if I ask God for help, I can get the help I need to do this. And the next one is we will be seldom interested in liquor, our food, our binge food. My binge food before program was sugar. I've done whole pies, whole cakes, whole bags of cooking. My son has never seen a big Newton. I ate every single one. And I used to buy Easter candy way ahead of time, and I'd buy a lot because by the time Easter came around, there had to be something left. I just, so I don't have sugar as part of my abstinence. I keep my abstinence real simple, three meals a day. And because I knew I had to have a lifetime program. And even sometimes, i got to tell you, that gets modified. There's different times, different things. Um, if I'm not interested in eating, I'm very, very sick. I'm on my way to the hospital. And that's the truth. That's <laughs> happened, so I know. But I'm not really attracted to sugar today. I know it took me, I think it was, I say you say it's nine months, but it was seven months into the program. Because at first, I tell people in the sponsor, if you have to have something, have it with a meal. Just make it a part of your meal. Just don't eat it separate. And so for a long time, I would have sugar with a meal. If I really need some sweet, I just add it with a meal. Because I was a 100-pounder, I had to, you know, three meals a day was my, it was a real diet when I started out. And so... The sugar, after about seven months, I hadn't had it, and I, went, I can tell you exactly when I had my last sugar. In fact, we had, it was at a, we, a service group at the Y. We had this at the end of June party. It's bring your own meat, and we have everything else. And I, 16 years ago, I had my last sugar there, and I know exactly what it was. It was a piece of carrot cake. I had it after a full meal, and I thought, this can't possibly hurt me because I've already eaten, you know. And for the first time, I hadn't had it for long enough that I could feel that the rush sugar gave me. It gave me a high followed by severe depression, and I went, that's why I was suicidal. But I couldn't stop it because I couldn't stop the sugar, you know. And And so, and sometimes... To tell you the truth, sugar still looks good. And now what I do when, when I look at sugar and it looks good, I say one, two things. One, thank you, God, I don't have to do that today. And the other one is I've already had my lifetime share. Huh. And I just started my grandson. And there's my grandchildren pictures in there. I sneak in potatoes. And I, when, my picture was real thin was after Weight Watchers and all the rest were after Weight Watchers, too. At that time, I wasn't a compulsive reader, but I, I progressed. Um... I was out eating with my grandson, and he was six at the time, and he had dessert. He had some ice cream. And he said to me, he says, Grandma, do you want some ice cream? I looked at him and said, Tommy, Grandma's already had her lifetime share of ice cream. So he looked at me and he says, well, how about cookies? Oh. <laughs> and, uh, and I says, Grandma's already had her lifetime supply of cookies, too. And he understood it. You know, a six-year-old understood that concept where when you try to explain it to adults, they don't. But he understood the concept that I already, already eaten all I was going to eat. 
And at this point, if, if tempted, we were coiled from it as from a hot flame. Um, and maybe this has to do with the same thing as seldom be interested. My dad died when I was in program, um, and he was he was in Michigan, and I had to fly back. And all the way back, I was praying to God, you know, God's will not mine be done. But I really wanted to see my dad before he died. And I got there, and we were he was in a he was com medically induced coma, and we were eating at the hospital two meals a day. And when my daughter-in-law at that time came out, she says, doesn't it bother you every day walking by the cakes? And I said, what cakes? I think I saw them the first day, and I had to go down and look for them. <laughs> Come possible you want to see what cakes? You know, it's like somebody told me to promise that after step nine, I went, I don't know, we've got to look at that one up. And I went, yeah, they were right. Um, and when I heard the seven-step prayer, somebody said, I said, where is that? And he said, in the book. I had to look that up because I didn't believe them. You know, I, sometimes I don't really believe the people. But I went down to check where the cake was, and I saw it. And, you know, the truth was every meal I had there in the hospital, and hospital food wasn't necessarily that great, but I looked at it, and I could figure out something I could eat. And when I really got tired of eating dinner there late because we were eating after they shut down, so we just had sandwiches and junk, I... Um, I told my mom sometimes I had to do something different for dinner because I had to have something besides the sandwiches. But there was nothing I could eat that was going to change what's happening to my dad. Nothing. And I knew one thing for sure. I knew my dad would never want me to give up my abstinence over his death and dying. He wouldn't. He would want me. If anything, he'd want, he was... My parents were real happy. My mother, they never really know where I am in program because I'm, you know, keep progressing. I see him once, my mother once a year. Although now I talk to my mother once a week on the phone, which is, I mean, this is something I never thought I'd ever do, but I do. And, but nothing was going to bring him back. Either staying through the earthquake, either staying through the um, riots, and everything else we've had. Because you know what? Eating doesn't change any of that. It just, and I've heard the people before, I said, eating isn't the solution, it's the problem. And as long as I remember that nothing I eat is going to make anything any different, it's a lot easier to abstain through it. And I've also found that abstaining is the fastest way through any problem. Because at some point, it's so uncomfortable, you're ready to work program. <laughs> and if you eat over it, basically all you've done is prolong the misery and you still have the problem. The next promise is, promise is we will react sanely and normally and we will find this has happened automatically I'm not so sure about uh, I know I don't want to be a normal person I've seen the way that you don't want to eat that way <laughs> I don't want to eat sugar at one meal and then miss my next meal I just I want to eat sugar and the meal so normally they kind of skip and you know whatever balance it out never that, that's not, to me, that's not normal. And I got to tell you, at work, they threw away some stale cookies. And I had to pick, the first time it happened, I just told my sponsor about it and a good friend. Next time it happened, I had to pitch it at a meeting because I got to tell you, I was not really happy they were throwing away stale cookies. And I don't, do I eat them? No, but I've never, the concept was boring. You know, and, but react sanely. I train people at work, and sometimes they don't always, I don't know, they don't always do what I tell them to do, and now I do, you know, and plus I'm, you know, anal, I'm, <laughs> and columns are anal. Anyway, um, and 
and I have to have them come down in my normal, and I can tell sometimes when I get so angry that I just start shaking. You know, it just starts shaking. And I have enough program and enough presence of mind to know that while I tell them, call them up and tell them, come on down, that I need to pray between the time they're leaving their office and coming down to my office. Because that prayer that I do to God and is what helps keep me sane. And I can have a better meeting with them, and it helps me get rid of my anger. It helps it to... Um, dampen it down and sometimes even in meetings when I've forgotten to make that phone call or it didn't happen I realize what's happening I realize I'm starting to get very angry and I realize this is not the way I want to be today I want to be of service to God I want to be a loving human being one of the prayers I just a thirst I don't do the first three steps every day I know it when I get up I'm compulsive over here if I forget just wait five minutes but what I do every morning is I do the third step prayer, I do the seventh step prayer, I do a prayer from the Lifeline Sampler, and it's called Close Me New Beauty. It goes, in the quiet of the morning hour, I come to you for peace. Grant me the power today to see the world through love-filled eyes. Help me be patient, gentle, wise, to see beyond what seems to be. Close me in your beauty, this I pray. Give me the grace to do thy will today. And i got to tell you, what I want to be is patient, gentle, wise. I don't want to be the angry, angry person I came in. My, I, I learned, you know, I was in therapy. I never told her I was suicidal, by the way. But she told me being depressed and being, depression was a sign of anger turned inward. And I didn't believe her because I never thought I was angry. It wasn't until I took a year candle in this program, I realized how angry I was when I came in here and how angry I was because nobody would do what I wanted to do and when I wanted to do it. And so today they still melt, but I have a little more sanity about it. You know, I talk about compulsive reading. They talk about in the old book 449. Well, I kept reading, and page 450 has my answer. My answer is if I don't know my answer and the answers to my problems, how can I know the answers to your problems? That's normal people, although some people, some normal people get into telling you what to do. But, but I... I get to be, sanely to me means a more loving person, a more, a more balanced person, more doing God's will and not Violet's will. Violet's will got me suicidal in my top weight. And God's will has got to be better than that. You know, it just has to be. And it has been. Okay. Thank you. And the next one is we'll see that our new attitude towards food has been given to us, given us without any thought or effort on our part. And I really believe my absence is a gift. It's a gift every one of us gets when we walk up, wake up first thing in the morning. I don't care what you've done the night before. When you wake up in the morning, you're abstinent. And all you have to do is not give that gift away. That's all you have to do. Don't give it away. It's a lot easier to keep the abstinence than to get it back. It doesn't make any difference how shaky your absence is. You know, I don't judge the quality of my meals. My meal has a beginning, middle, and end. That's my meal. I don't judge what's in the meal. And by not judging what's in the meal, my meals have gotten better. My food has gotten better. Um, and I switched from large eggs to medium eggs. <laughs> switched from giant bananas to medium-sized bananas. 
And um, now when I buy the packaged food from the guy that comes around every day, I take a couple of spoonful of rice out. I get salmon and rice and three vegetables, really good for five bucks. But I take out some of this little rice, and it's not like I'm throwing half of it away. It's just the action of taking some of it away. And it's the thing is, I couldn't be it by myself. I couldn't diet by myself. I couldn't stop eating. How many times have we promised I'm not going to do that anymore and gotten back to do it? And and so the fact that I wake up every morning absolutely absent is a gift from God. All I have to do is a fit, you know, keep a fit spiritual condition that day. And it doesn't even have to be anything to write home to mother about. You know, at one point I wanted to be like a foot off the ground. I just wanted to be so spiritual that I was just floating a foot off the ground. And one newcomer said to me, you know, when you're that way, nobody, it's really hard for people to relate to you. And what I realized is that people relate to us in this program by our humanness and not by so much by our godliness. Our moments of godliness are inspiration to them, that if we did it, they can do it too, because they've heard our crazy thoughts, and they know they've had those thoughts. So if this person who is like, you've heard them, and they're like way out there, can work to tell you what the problem is, how they stopped it, how they, what, pro, what part of program they're working on it, that's hope. Because that means if you're going down that path and all of a sudden you realize, wait a minute, this is not the person I want to be today. You know that, wait a minute, I heard in a meeting somebody said this and this. And I've got to tell you, I don't go to a lot of meetings, but I listen to tapes. Those tapes they sell out of there, I have a whole compulsive com- collection of them. And I listen to them on the way to work. I listen on, I just I put them in my car and I just listen to them. And somebody said, well, I don't drive very far. And I said, neither do I. I might drive to work just 15, 20 minutes. But with most speakers, that's all we hear is 15 to 20 minutes anyway. So it's like I get some moments to say. And there are times I can't get out of the house without doing prayers to God to be of service that day. Believe me, during tax season, I just as soon stay home and not go in. And and I just go, okay, God, I'm going to be of service today. And it's, it's with your help, I can get out of this my condo, and we can go to work today, and we can be of service to someone. And that's how I go to work, and I listen to those tapes because that's my only link to sanity on the way to work and back, and it helps me get through the day. Um, and it's talking about it just comes. That is the miracle that we are not fighting it, neither are we avoiding temptation. And, you know, and i got to tell you, I go, we have the birthday parties at our office, too, where they have the cake. And I don't, you know, the cake, I just look at it and say, it's not my cake. I've eaten more than most of the two people in these rooms. And I consider that time sitting there with people my employee benefit. Their employee benefit is eating it. My employee benefit is sitting there and working on learning how to socialize. And I do it some days a lot better than other days. I'm not the most outgoing person there is, and it doesn't mean I don't care about people. It just means I'm not I'm not the most outgoing. You know, I guess that's the best way to put it. Um, and it says, we will feel as we have been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We have not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. This is our experience. That is how, that is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. And, okay, and what I want to finish up with is the end of the first promise of the promises. 
and it says, We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. And the key word there is realize, because God has been doing stuff for us all along, all along. And when we get the absence and we get the clarity, we finally recognize it. And, we, and I say thank you, God. In fact, I heard somebody say, what is, on one of the tapes I listened to, they said, what is the prayer you use the most? And they said, thank you, God. And I can't tell you how many times at work I say, thank you, God. I get into, oh, my God, I made a mistake, and I almost didn't catch it. And I went, wait a minute. Instead of getting into, I made a mistake, let's work into, it got caught before it went out of the office, and thank you, God. And I say thank you, God, a lot, because I... It's a prayer to him. I consider it a prayer to him as a reminder where I get my direction. I do, uh, at night, I do five things I'm grateful for. And when I go down and see my grandchildren, we work on five things they're grateful for, too. Is I am more the person I ever wanted to be than I thought I could be by working on doing God's will. Thank you. We will now have questions from the Ask a Basket. Okay. Okay, this is to either one of you. It's not, or both of you. Um, please share about your experience specific to your step work that allowed you to realize that the promises do come true, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. I need to step back up to the Specific to your step work that allowed you to realize the promises did come true. Can I help when I answer this? I hope that this answers the question. Um, honestly, my steps took me a very long time. Let me just first say that. It probably took me two years to do them. I still have some amends that I have not made. Most of them are financial, but as I'm able to, I will. But... Um, I think just as a result of simply working them, the promises came true. I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm getting the gist of the, um, of the question, specific to my step work that allowed me to realize the promises do come true, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. I think the best I can really do about that is, because I'm not quite sure where we're going with it, is that simply by working them, the promises have come true. Another thing I realize, another thing that my sponsor tells me is, I'm always working them every single day. I'm always working the principle behind them every single day. So, and so I've gone through them all uh, twice. The first time I kind of don't necessarily I did it, but I wasn't really wasn't really in program as I am today. I did them. I certainly did them again. But on any given day, I can be on any given one. Some days I need step three desperately. But or whatever the steps are, but every single day I'm doing one of the principles behind them, honesty, hope, all the principles that we have behind them, every single day. And I think working the steps and working the principles behind them have brought me to promise. So that's how to answer that. Remove the obsession. Working the, 
the one thing that helped me to remove this obsession, and the only way I believe the obsession can be removed, is by working the steps. The program of recovery is in the big book. It's in the first 160, I can't remember, three or four pages. Not so good with numbers, huh? <laughs> um, but it's in the, it's in the, the program, and it's the working the program, as it's written in the book, that relieves the obsession. That's what it was written down. And if you look in the forward, it tells you that when it first started, the first 100 people that were in, 50% of them recovered right away, working the program as it was written, and then 25% recovered later, and the remaining 25% recovered to some degree. Their lives improved to some degree. That's a 75% recovery rate using the program as written in the book. Thank you. Violet, do you believe the promises came true for you quickly or slowly? Okay. Uh, I think that has to do with realizing, with suddenly realizing. I think the promises were coming. I think the promises were there from the moment we walked into the rooms because we hear hope. And then we start working the program, and then we start getting more and more. I think the, the promises were always starting there, even though they say step nine, and I know step nine, okay. But I really believe that as soon as we come in and start working, some of these things start happening. And then we suddenly realize that God's doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. And and I think it was only after those 10 years that I really realized, wow, I'm becoming more the person I really would like to be. Because I still get into my head, you're not doing this, you're not doing that. In fact, this afternoon I went, before I spoke, I went up, laid down for 15 minutes, and the phone rang, and it was like flashing. I was trying to pick it up, I think. So I, somebody was leaving a message, I think, and I wiped it off. Trying to figure it out, so half of you know, whatever. And I started getting into like, oh my God, you just did this. I thought, you know what? If it was meant to be, I was to get that message. I'll see them, and they'll tell me. And just let it put down the whip. And to me, putting down the whip, the beating myself was a promise. It was one of the hope things. Um, so I don't think I really answered your question, but it's gradual. I, I think some people recognize it quicker than others, and other people take longer to recognize it. But I believe they're happening from this time we walk in. Thank you. Both of you. What do you eat for breakfast? You know, it's funny because I have to just, let me just preface this by saying, I've said this a million times, I eat like a zoo animal. I eat the same basic things at the same time every day, just like when they feed the lions at the zoo. And so, my breakfast now is um, a cup of low-fat cottage cheese, a third of a cup of grape nuts, and a small can of light peaches. That's what it's been for about the six, last six or eight months. Um, it's been everything from that to a smoothie to cereal with rice milk or soy milk. Um, whatever it is, it's got to be fast. And it's got to feel like enough. Dear God, it's got to feel like enough. 
Did I start out the day and it doesn't feel like enough? We're already off on the wrong footing. That's not good. That's not good. Um, and also I have to say that, that the miracle of breakfast is that the night before, if I haven't had enough, I am grateful to God that there's a morning. God, Because God blesses me with the morning, I get to do the whole thing over again. And that thought helps me sleep like a baby. So there you go. I can answer this one because I've eaten the same breakfast for about eight, ten years. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I eat shred wheat, the spoon-sized shred wheat with great nuts and milk and a fruit. And it lasts me to noon, but at noon I am ready to eat. Thank you. Fear of people seems to only lower, not fade. How do you handle this? Well, first of all, I think I have to... I have to just at least recognize it because oftentimes I don't even recognize it. Fear and shame-based stuff and all these kind of things are in my wiring. I don't always necessarily recognize. You know what I do? God help me. When in doubt and I can't think of the right words, the right, you know, fabulous spiritual words, dear God help me. For, for anything, dear God help me. First I have to recognize it, then it's dear God help me. And then it's action. Go say hello to that person. Go shake that person's hand. Go out to dinner with your friends. Go be social. God help me. Here we go. This is for either or both. How do you continue to abstain and find a firm but loving sponsor if you're one of the longer abstaining people? Well, let me say my last sponsor I picked out because I wanted her spirituality, which is a lot different than the first one I picked out because she was. <laughs> Never mind, move over there. Um, <laughs> um, but I, the longest abstaining people, I have a sponsor that has more time than I do. That's how I end. You know, and like I say, my abstinence is basically three meals a day, and three meals a day is pretty easy to do no matter where you go. So it's not like I can go to any restaurant within reason. I, I mean, grandson knows I do not eat at McDonald's. I have some standards. <laughs> and I've never eaten at In-N-Out Burger either because I got a, I either like the signs that people change. Anyway, but, um, but the, it's not, if you want to have a long-term asthmus, find somebody has one. And I, when I came in here, I wanted to be a long-timer so bad. And I went to this long-timer marathon so I could. I bought the long-timer tapes. In, in nine years in program, I, I realized the secret of OA. You want to know what the secret is? If you want to be a long-timer, keep coming back. Melissa. Would you change the past if you could? That's a really good question. Depends what day you ask me. <laughs> really, it really does. But I was thinking about that the other day. It truly really depends on what day you ask me. I'll tell you when I would not. When I share about it and somebody in the meeting, maybe somebody new says that happened to me, then I absolutely would not. When I am 
embarrassed and shame-based toward myself than I would want to. However, that, I have to say this, that past gave me a gentleness of the heart that I don't think I would have had had I not experienced it. So today must be one of those days where I would not have changed it, shame and all. But, um, you know, God, if it helps somebody else, then no. No, I wouldn't want to. That's all the questions. It's now time to close this workshop. Please join me in a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer. Keep coming back.